This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. person that had the best question last hour was about radio talk show hosts calling into other radio talk show hosts shows and i do think that was a a fine story uh a fine question rather you know it was interesting i read um you know i read a lot of op-eds and i was reading an op-ed in the hill that i fear that i might be the problem with what do i mean by that well I am not really the one in our house that does the shopping most of the time. Most, I'd say 80% of the time, maybe 70% of the time, my wife does the shopping. Then about 20% of the time we order. We have the groceries delivered to our house, which I love, very convenient. But my wife doesn't like it as much. We only do it when we're pressed for time because... They, uh, she doesn't like what they do in terms of substitutions. There's a lot of limitations in what you can get and things of that nature. Then about 10% of the time, I'm the one that does the shopping for whatever reason. Usually it's only for a few select items. And every time I go to the supermarket, it's a disaster. What takes my wife 15, 20 minutes, it takes me an hour. I can't find anything. I don't know where anything is. I uh, try to find the lines that have people as cashiers instead of the self-checkout. Everyone else is speeding right through the self-checkout. I just, I'm clueless. I can't, you know, takes me a while to bag all the groceries if I'm by myself. I can never find what I'm looking for. Um, I like to look around. Meanwhile, I'm the problem in, in aisles. People are trying to get through these aisles quickly. Quickly, they know exactly what to get. They grab it. They speed through the aisle, go to the next aisle, speed through the next aisle. And I'm sitting there meandering, looking at this, looking at that. And then I am the biggest sucker for anything. For instance, they'll have uh, a lemon squeezer. I'll think, oh, boy, we really need to get that lemon squeezer. And in the case where I'll be out there with my wife shopping together, I'll throw the lemon squeezer into the shopping cart. And she'll say, no, what do we need this for? And I said, I don't know. Look at it. It looks so cool. She says, we have something that does almost the exact same thing. Oh, okay. Oh, they have these things hanging. A grilled cheese crisper. Let me get that. No, honey, we don't need a grilled cheese crisper. The way we make grilled cheese is just fine. She'll put it back. So I'm the worst at the entire food shopping experience. Well, there was a very interesting op-ed in The Hill, and then it became a segment on the uh, their show, The Rising, exploring the most annoying things people do at the grocery store. And I thought to myself, what is the most annoying thing that I find um, people do 
at the grocery store. And I realized I am probably the problem. I am probably the guy that is doing all of these annoying things. The only thing I could really think of is I don't like when uh, there are a lot of people, because I do have a lot of experience redeeming cans and bottles, so I don't like when there are a lot of people waiting in line to redeem their cans and bottles and you're taking up more than one machine. If there are people, if there's no one there and you want to use both the aluminum machine and the glass machine, have at it. I like, in fact, more and more grocery stores are having machines that do both. They'll do, say, plastic and glass or they'll do aluminum and plastic. I love those because that saves you a lot of time in the whole process. Those are my favorites. But I don't like if there's people waiting for someone to take two machines so that they can finish their batch first. No, one machine at a time, and then if that means you have to wait in line again for that second machine, you wait in line just like everybody else. That's the only thing that I could really think of. And then I also don't love when people, when they're finished grocery shopping and they'll bring their groceries to their car, they'll, um, you know, they'll just leave their shopping cart right next to their car. No, you're supposed to put your shopping cart in an orderly fashion with all the other shopping carts. That's where it goes. It doesn't go just to, you know, wherever it is so that somebody else has to clean up after you. That was the only thing that, those were the only two things, really, that I could think of in my experience as a food shopper that really bothered me. But I read this column in The Hill by or it's not even a column it's a story by Dustin Latimer and apparently everything bothers people there are a lot of behaviors that annoy others from parking a cart where it doesn't belong to blocking the aisle there are a lot of behaviors that annoy people and apparently i am a big part of the problem 800-848-9222 tell me what behaviors in the grocery store you find annoying um because shoppers are some sometimes bothered sometimes mildly annoyed other times downright mad about the lack of grocery store etiquette they held nothing back in this article with the hill when they were asked about the most frequent annoyances and behaviors of others at the store and then they went to a lifestyle and etiquette expert by the name of Elaine Swan. And she said that having a pleasant shopping experience comes down to respect. Now, I think I do demonstrate respect, but I think I'm so clueless and so inexperienced at food shopping that I am probably annoying others. So they went through a few, and then I want to hear yours at 800-848-9222. One person writes, blocking the aisle while texting. I could see that being annoying. I don't think I do that, but I think probably people do think I do that because I'm looking down at the list that my wife has sent me, get this type of tangerine, get this type of cheese, get this type of milk, get this type of almond milk, get this type of coffee creamer, get this type of uh, whatever, apples. And I'm looking at the list on my mobile phone and people probably do think I'm texting. Um, Carolyn writes or says, when she doesn't like when she's checking out and people stand right next to her when she's paying the cashier. No one needs to be in your face when you're checking out. Keep in your own space. I probably do that. I, You know, again, I'm just so clueless. I probably do that. Um, P. 
People who let their child run wild. I don't do that one. I am, if Carmine's acting up a little bit, I'll pick him up. I'll put him in the, uh, in the shopping cart. And then this is annoying. And I, I, I'm not this guy. In, except in the circumstance I'm about to describe to you. People who talk loudly on their phone. This is not me. It's not me ever. But people may think it's me. And here's why. Sometimes my wife will say, all right, I need you to buy the super soft tissues, but buy the ones in the square-shaped box because that's the shape of all our tissue holders, not the ones in the rectangle-shaped box. Okay, are are these okay? The puffs with lotion. Uh, I, I don't know. Can I see them? And I will WhatsApp her and create a video conversation, kind of like, um, you know, I think FaceTime is what I, iPhone users call it. And I'll show her the goods that I'm considering buying. And she'll say, no, 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 move to the left. No, that's not a good one. Get that one. And people may think, and I could see this being disturbing to other people, but it's not just me talking loudly on the phone. I'm getting much needed instruction. What bothers you? 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Jill in Bloomfield. Hello. Hello, sir. Coupons. People with portfolios of coupons, you run in to grab something quickly, and they pull out a portfolio of coupons, they should have a separate line. They have a right to have coupons, but not on my time. Hello? I like that one, Jill. I, I, you know, I'm not a coupon guy, but um, and I, you know, I don't really see a lot of people use coupons anymore. But uh, you, you notice this enough that it's annoying to you. Yes. Okay, I like that one. That's a, that's a good one. I can see people being bothered by that. By the way, coming up in about 15 minutes, uh, we are going to talk with an award-winning journalist and retired judge about the Lindbergh baby, one of the most enduring. Mysteries of all time. You know what I know rankles a lot of people at the grocery store? The express line. People claiming that, uh, you know, people are not using the express line for the express purpose that it's supposed to. And I'll remember, I remember this one episode of The Simpsons. This is years ago. This was before Apu was canceled as an offensive character. Apu had gotten fired from his job at the Quickie Mart. And he's either living with or he's spending time with the Simpson family. And one of the things that he does as a guy that has a lot of experience in retail shopping is he's giving Marge advice on how to shop, how to shop effectively. And they come upon the express line. Mrs. Simpson, the express line is the fastest line, not always. That old man up front, he is starved for attention. He would talk the cashier's head off. Let's cut to that line. But that's the longest. Yes, but look, old pathetic single man. Only cash, no chit-chat. See, Apu knew that even though the line with the single men was longer, that was the line to go on because there would be no chit-chat, they would be all cash, and go through it quickly. 800-848-9222. Jim in St. Louis, listening on KMOX. Honored to be on KMOX, now heard daily. Uh, Jim, what bothers you at the grocery store? Well, I saw a gal on TV was looking through all the uh, different breads. And she was taking them, opening them. Opening and them? Opening. 
and then putting that back, and then the machine like that, so she grabbed another one. She went through about eight of them like that. And some other gal that was watching her in the store said, now that you've put all of your hands all over these, are you going to buy all those? Um, I, bought, I bought the one I wanted. <laughs> uh, that I could see being really annoying. I can't believe that uh, they would actually go so far as to open the bread. That's terrible. Well, I saw it on TV. <laughs> well, on a on a reality show or on a fictional show? Uh, I don't know. It's just some kind of reality show, I guess. Okay. Uh, well, you got to be careful with those reality shows, some because sometimes they're you know because sometimes they're not necessarily based in reality. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Jay is in Ohio. What really bothers you? Hey, uh, Frank. I, they, we got two kinds kinds of shopping carts. Got the small one and the big one. And the small ones are always out in the parking lot. So I grabbed one and wheeled it in. And the shopping cart kid gave me a hard time for taking his job. It's like, well, hey, maybe you should do your job more because they're always out in the parking lot. You know? <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I can see that. I can see that being annoying. Thank you, Jay. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Uh, Tony, do you do the shopping yourself? Yes, I'm a bachelor. Yeah, yes, I and do. And so uh, what bothers you when you go grocery shopping? Long lines. Well, I mean, that's not annoying behavior, though. No, um, no. What what annoys me is that when they when they don't have certain products that I'm looking for. All right, but again, that's not an annoying behavior of another shopper. Are there any? Is there any uh, shoppers annoying behavior that bothers you? Yeah, at, on the other day, uh, I was at the, at the grocery store, and this lady was at the, was was trying to get some meat, and she knew I was I was right behind her, and she took forever. And you know, like just like picking, going, and eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Like just pick up the damn thing and move over. Okay. Okay. Uh, I could see that being uh, absolutely cumbersome. That's not bad. Melvin, uh, what bothers you at the grocery store? People bringing their dogs inside the store. Number one, <laughs> people opened up packages and dumped up the merchandise all over the place, and people who cannot put some kind of check on their children. Wait, wait. Uh, p- people who can't put a check on their children was the last one you said. Yes. You know, in terms of the dogs. Are the people bringing in their dogs using them as service dogs, or are they just bringing their pet into the store? Dogs, animals live in the animal house, humans live in the human house. While I was out in the country back in the 50s, the, the animals stay outside in the, in the, where, in the grass and everything else, and you got the apartments in New York City where it's barely large enough for a human, for a human being. And people don't even clear up behind us. So how they going to clear up behind us from dogs? I have witness that dogs urinate on shelves and stuff. Oh, yeah. And oh, so I, for, I, I can you know, look. And I'm a, dog, and I'm a dog lover, Melvin, but I could see that being quite irksome. Uh, absolutely. And you know what? In a similar vein, I have noticed that when it comes to dogs, people are totally abusing the service animal provisions and protections under the law. People are claiming these dogs, which are clearly their pets, are service animals. Now, look, if you're blind, by all means, bring a dog into the store and or wherever else you want. These seeing-eye dogs are wonderful. Uh, the things that they're able to do, absolutely remarkable. And, you know, uh, we know our family um, is friends with a young man who has a, a debilitating... Um, disease called eb 
and they, there's a service dog that helps him out with all sorts of things. Sometimes he'll turn on light switches. He can, um, you know, move. He really, it's just incredible. He helps this young man with all sorts of things. That's a real service animal. But, and I'm not making light of anyone that suffers from anxiety, but for the people that claim that they're bringing their dog and it's designed to be a comfort animal in the grocery store or somewhere like that, or on an airplane, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's not a comfort animal. It's a pet. I mean, maybe it is a comfort animal, but any pet's a comfort animal. You're not using that service animal the same way that a seeing eye dog is. Not at all. Um, Nicholas is in New Jersey. Hello, Nicholas. Hey, how you doing, Frank? I'm I'm do, hanging in there. I appreciate you asking. Thank you. You you do a great show every. I listen to you every night. Thank and you. You're fantastic. You're fantastic. That's very kind of you. Appreciate. Now, it. I got I got two things that annoy me. Um, the express lane. It's got a big sign that says ten items or less, mm-hmm. and people go with thirty and forty items. That really pisses me off. How do they get away with that? Why does the store not crack down on that? I've asked them several times, and they said, well, well, they're there now. It's like, but they can't read? Yeah, I, I like that. I, I like I, that. That's a good one. That's a good one. And, and the other one is um, talk, you know, instead of taking taking care of your groceries and, and paying the, you know, the cashier, talk, they're talking on their cell phone a mile a minute. All right. Well, I I, uh, I can see that one being quite irksome as well, uh, Nicholas. Both good ones. 800-848-9222. Michael is in California. What do you have for us, Michael? Yeah, I think the most annoying thing is when you go to pay and then there's somebody in front of you and they're digging through their purse to get their card and you're like, oh, they're going to get their card. And then they whip out their checkbook and then they're fumbling for a pen and you're like in a hurry to get somewhere. I think that's probably one of the most annoying things. Or the other one is when you're paying with uh, somebody's paying with an EBT card, and then they're arguing with the cashier. Well, I bought this last week. They did, I was able to buy it, and it's like, I'm like, I actually said here, dude. You know what? I'll pay for it. I just need to get out of here. I, I just paid for it. I have never seen that. So people actually will haggle over what's uh, allowed to be covered with EBT. For sure, in California, yes. That is, that's wild. I didn't know that, Michael. Thank you. 800-848-9222. That would bother me, too. You know, that happened to me once. Is I, This is years ago, I think before I had a driver's license, and I was taking a car service, and what they would do, I don't know if they still do this, but what they would do is they would actually pick up other people on the way to get, drop you off at your destination. And I was in a real hurry. I was already annoyed that they picked up this other lady to, you know, to go somewhere. And... For some reason, and this was a cash-only thing, she didn't have the right amount of uh, of cash or something along those lines or had too much and the guy didn't have change. I don't remember the circumstances, but I just said, okay, I'll pay for you. I'll pay for you, you know, and whatever. I was out 15 or $18, but I was just in such a hurry. I, I can empathize with what, uh, what that gentleman's talking about in terms of just p- paying to be done with the hassle. Kathy's in New Jersey. Kathy, what bothers you at the grocery store? Oh, um, good morning, Frank. Good morning. Listener, first time oh, thank you. I'll welcome, you welcome. Uh, Thank you, thank you. Um, chill, um, people, young people who are not handicapped, like uh, that are driving these handicapped carts, you know, that are equipped for people who cannot walk um, in the grocery store. And uh, I see that very frequently. They, they treat them as toys. 
And the last time that I was in a grocery store, um, this young man, he was probably about 10 or 11, and his sister were in this cart. And I said, um, why are you in that cart? And he said, because I want to be. Ooh. And um, I think it's, yeah. And he was blocking, he was blocking an area. Another gentleman wanted to get help. And um, I think his mother may have been in the same aisle, but it's very dangerous because they drive them like they're driving like bumper cars, you know, at an amusement park. And um, there aren't that many of them in stores. And I think people should have access to them. So that's kind of what, what, you know, what bothers me. Oh, that would bother me too. Now in the instances that you've seen them, I know you mentioned in one case, the parent was in the aisle, but are the parents usually around or are they nowhere to be found? Um, this, the last time I believe the mother was there. And then the other time, like I'll go and I'll, I'll get food and I'll eat in the area and they just get in these cars and just like ride around, you know, like they're, um, like they're like like little bumper cars, but you know they're very heavy and very dangerous. And um, you know, uh, I mean, if they're driven properly, they're fine. But if they're not driven properly, you know, you can really take somebody out with one of them. Oh yeah, oh, and, no, 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 um, no doubt about. It. Are, 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 are they motorized? Yes, they are. They are they're motorized, and they have to be charged. And they're a very they have a basket on the front and seat in the driver's area. But you know, they're they're very heavy. They're not. Um, these are not, it's not, right, they're not, toys. They're not light at all. Oh, I get it. Now, I, I have not seen that, but that would bother me a great deal uh, because presumably someone needs these. And if you're, you know, clowning around, not only are you denying the opportunity for someone that might need one of these carts to use it, but you're, as you heard from Kathy there, using up the electricity b- before it needs to be recharged. Evan is in the Queens. Hello, Evan. Hey, how are you, Frank? I listen to your show every night. I'm a big fan. Wonderful. Well, you know, uh, my, keep spreading the word calling. for us. That's great. I'm yeah. honored to have you. Hopefully it won't be the last time calling. Thank you. Thank you. Um, what really annoys me at the supermarket is the uh, the cold cut line. Everybody wants to, like, get a sample, and they want different thicknesses of the cold cuts. It just takes takes forever. You try to get something, get in and out, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I've probably been that guy from time to time. <laughs> I get that one, Evan. I can understand why that one bothers you. Let me uh, let me squeeze in one more here. You know, I'm getting barraged with SMS text messages um, of folks that are sending me all sorts of things at 816-8Morano. That's 816-8Morano. Someone writes, uh, first, I take 10 minutes to spray down my cart and set myself up with a game plan. I mark on my list the aisle number. Then 90 minutes to get through the supermarket, plus another 10 minutes to urinate, check out, and put the groceries away in my car. Exactly. And then (laughs) this guy has a whole system here. My goodness. We'll squeeze in one more, and then we're going to talk with uh, Lise Perlman about the, the Lindbergh kidnapping, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. She believes... She has discovered a major breakthrough, and her discovery has gotten a lot of attention. We'll get into it momentarily. James is in Calverton. James, uh, tell me what bothers you at the grocery store. Okay, uh, two things. When I buy ice cream and cake, and then the coupon that comes out of the register is for a large box of tampons and a big box of detergent. Or the other thing that bothers me is I have a woman in my neighborhood who's jogging five miles from her house. She's wearing these this clothing like she's in a marathon. And then when she's at the supermarket, she parks in the fire zone. And I said, why are you parking in the fire zone? She said, I'm not going to walk from that all the way over there <laughs> totally insane <laughs> James-
James, I can absolutely picture that whole scenario occurring. That is very funny. That would bother me as well. All right. Uh, those of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you a little bit later. But we're going to talk about the Lindbergh baby straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. At first I was afraid, I was petrified I kept thinking I could never live without you by my side But then I spent so many nights just thinking how you'd done me wrong I grew strong, I learned how to get along And so you're back from outer space 32 minutes after the hour Singing about surviving. Uh, you want to talk about a mystery that has survived. And we have uh, on this program explored so many enduring mysteries over the years. What became of Judge Crater? What's the story with the Bermuda Triangle? What, um, you know, is on the missing 18 minutes of the Watergate tapes? You name it, we have explored really almost every historical mystery that you can imagine, but few have captivated the attention of the public more than the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. The 1932 kidnapping of the 20-month-old child of the world-famous Charles Lindbergh, one of the most famous aviators in the world, is something that people have been debating about for years. Many books have been written about it. Movies have been made about it. And yet, so many people seem so uncertain with the official version of events. Well, now, a retired California judge believes she stumbled upon something pretty blockbuster. And she's got um, a lot of uh, some interesting new evidence to back that up. Very, very pleased uh, to be joined by uh, Lise Perlman, retired judge, filmmaker, and award-winning author. Judge, thanks so much for staying up late with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's uh, it's our pleasure. So for people that uh, are not up on the Lindbergh baby and they don't necessarily remember all of the details, can you give folks a little bit of an overview of the Lindbergh baby kidnapping case for people that may not be familiar with it or they may not remember it? Well, 
Charles Lindbergh became internationally famous for being the first person to cross the Atlantic from New York to Paris nonstop, uh, which meant there was a new age of warfare. Um, that got the Pentagon, well, it wasn't the Pentagon yet, the Army and the Navy very concerned that they were not prepared for planes crossing the ocean and dropping bombs, for example. It did give rise to the Pentagon. So they made an enormous hero out of Charles Lindbergh. Uh, he paraded across America in the summer of 1927. About a quarter of all Americans saw him in 80 different parades. Well, ever since then, he was in the news regularly at the movies, and uh, that was before TV. And when he married, uh, that was uh, huge news. And when he had his first child, that was also huge, huge news. That they called him the little eaglet. Um, and then uh, in March of 1932, when his son was 20 months old, all of a sudden, there was news from Lindbergh that his son had been kidnapped, and it went viral across uh, all, the whole world. Um, and immediately, um, it had the attention of all the public uh, through newspapers and, and radio, which was the way news was communicated then. And the police made it in the New Jersey their highest priority, spent more money on this investigation than any uh, ever in the country's history, but yet could not solve what happened. Um, Lindbergh, until they thought in, uh, in 1934 when they arrested uh, Bruno Richard Hauptmann. But the story from the beginning was that a ladder was found in the yard of the Lindbergh estate um, and it was assumed that it had been placed up against the house with five adults inside, including Charles Lindbergh and his wife, who heard nothing. Um, and the, the child was stolen from his nursery on the second floor, um, and then uh, the uh, perpetrator disappeared, um, and, and there was uh, a series of ransom notes, ransom demands, uh, made one was supposedly found on the windowsill when the child was found missing mm. at 10 p.m. and thereafter some were mailed, and it carried on for about uh, two months. And then the body of the child was found uh, in May of 1932 uh, within five miles of the estate, and were, so it became a homicide. And remind us, were the um, Lindberghs willing to pay the ransom? Ultimately, uh, yes, uh, Lindbergh uh, put together $50,000 in um, bills, most of which were backed by gold. They were called gold certificates, looked like a regular $10 and $20 bill, except it had a gold stamp on it. And that, uh, all that money was uh, put into a box and delivered in a park, uh, well, actually a cemetery in the Bronx, on uh, April 2nd, 1932, to a man that had been in communication with Lindbergh's go-between, um, and all of the bills were recorded. At Lindbergh's insistence, there was no surveillance by either the mm. New York police or the uh, New Jersey police. The fellow disappeared, um, and but when he disappeared, he had given, in exchange for the $50,000, a note supposedly where to find the child. Uh, Lindbergh um, and others went to look at sea where there was supposed to be a boat, Nellie, 
uh, with a child on board safe, and it was a wild goose chase. Wow. Hey, uh, it was pe- six weeks later that the body was found. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Lise Perlman. She has looked into the Charles Lindbergh case, written a number of books, including on this subject. Uh, you can go to Amazon or most other places where uh, books are sold and check out books like The Lindbergh Kidnapping Suspect Number 1, The Man Who Got Away, and uh, there's some other terrific books available on her website as well. Lise, uh, I I remember maybe about 25 years ago seeing a miniseries, I think it was called The Trial of the Century, but I, I don't remember, about this case. And I came away from what I remember of the miniseries thinking that uh, Hauptman was not responsible for the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby. I want to get to your theory in just a moment. But do most people believe these days, whether they subscribe to your theory or not, do most people believe these days that Hauptman was responsible or was not responsible? I would say most still believe that Hauptman was responsible. If you go on websites, um, at, you know, historical ones, that's what they say. The FBI still puts that out. Um, the New Jersey State Police has celebrated it a couple of years ago, uh, his execution, as the most important case they ever saw. Wow. So they're sticking with this in, in New Jersey yes. and still celebrating the fact that they gave him the death penalty for this. Right. Wow. In fact, if you go to the New Jersey State Police Museum, you will see the electric chair on display. Whoa, I had no idea that was the case. Now, what is the thinking about why the kidnapper or kidnappers would have killed the baby if uh, the Lindberghs were willing to spend the money to pay the ransom? Well, the when the body was found... Um, Lindbergh uh, proposed a theory. He had been in charge. The police put him in charge of the investigation uh, very shortly after the child disappeared. And he had this theory that he was selling to others, which was that the child must have been dropped as the kidnapper um, went out the second-story window um, trying to get onto the uh, ladder. And when he dropped the child, um, the child's head uh, fractured, his skull fractured, mm. and he died instantly. Um, and yet um, the, the kidnapper decided to go ahead with his plan for kidnap for ransom and pretended the child was still alive until uh, after he got the money. What sparked um, your interest in this? And uh, uh, clearly you put a lot of work into this and have spent countless hours doing a lot of the legwork and a lot of the research. What prompted you to get interested in this case? Well, I'm a retired judge, and I got interested in a California case, uh, the prosecution of Black Panther leader Huey Newton uh, for a death penalty case, because one of his attorneys was a pioneering um, woman attorney who um, served on the same board that I later served on, California Women Lawyers. And she believed this was his case was one of the top cases of the century because of its impact on diversifying the American jury, uh, among other reasons. So I was following on uh, a research on her life, and I came across that um, how powerfully she thought this case resonated. So I com- wrote a book comparing it to other famous trials that had been called the trial of the century. And there are lists that are um, kept by people like lawyers like Alan Dershowitz and um, his other historians of the top 20 or top 40 uh, 
trials of the century because every couple of years the reporters call a case that. Right. I remember the O.J. case was, uh, for a while they said the Theodore Roosevelt libel case was. uh, From time to time, these cases get that distinction. Right. So what I did is I, I called from those various lists 20 that were on everybody's list, and the Lindbergh case was one of them. Hmm. And I wrote a chapter a piece about these other cases to compare it to the Newton case. And the only one that stood out to me that was still um, really unsolved, where there were people who insisted that, uh, that Houtman was guilty and deserved to be executed, and other people who insisted, including his widow, uh, for 60 years of her life, that he was innocent and that he'd been framed. Mm. And as a prior, as a judge, I could not say, well, some people say this and some say oh, the opposite. I had to decide for myself, which re- which required me to do original research. Now, you have come up with a conclusion that some people may find quite shocking. It certainly generated a great deal of attention and interest. Uh, tell folks what you believe is at least possible in terms of what happened to the Lindbergh baby. Well, first I'll say that I was shocked when I discovered it, too. But when the child disappeared, Lindbergh was secretly working for the Rockefeller Institute of Medical Research in New York with uh, its most famous researcher, Dr. Alexi Carell, who was doing uh, vivisections on animals and humans um, to try to uh, come up with a method for um, organ transplants, which did not exist at the time. The reason Lindbergh got involved is that he wanted to help out his sister-in-law who had a defective heart, uh, heart valve. And his reason for being kept there was because he was a mechanical genius. And what Dr. Carell was using was a perfusion pump that once he excised an organ or tissue, it could be placed in this pump and then uh, there would be a serum circulated around it to try to keep it viable until it was transplanted. And what Dr. Krell was finding is that it always became necrotic. Uh, it, the organ or tissue died in there because of contamination. And Lindbergh said, I can help. And so he developed a much better perfusion pump and was working on that at the time his son disappeared. Uh, there is a book the two of them wrote together, Dr. Carell and Lindbergh, in 1938 called The Culture of Organs, in which they have a chapter on human vivisection um, and, and also um, uh, autopsies, but both. And at the end of the book, they recommend strongly that other researchers get into the forbidden field of human vivisection. So- and they say they had done many. So we have, um, we, we know Dr. Carell is collaborating with Charles Lindbergh. Explain to folks how that dovetails with the disappearance and then killing of the baby. Dr. Carell, in early April 1932, more than a month after the child had disappeared, wrote to his superiors at the Rockefeller Institute a confidential memo very excited that with Lindbergh's help as a key member of the team, they had just kept a uh, small organ and a carotid artery segment viable for a month. This was a huge breakthrough. Uh, It would only have been a breakthrough if the subject was human. 
because Corel had done that with animals 20 years before. So you think they were experimenting on the Lindbergh baby? I do, and the other, there's more evidence than that. The, the, the one picture uh, that was taken at the morgue of the child um, appears uh, to have on it a uh, possible infection on the right jaw, um, and it actually looks very similar to the infection that can be developed after a carotid artery operation. Uh, we have a picture of, of a modern patient with a very similar shaped um, uh, possible infection, well, in his case, actual infection, but a possible infection. The other thing is there's more evidence than that, much more. Uh, the child, when found in the woods, was mostly skeletal, and yet there was no blood in the woods. They also found a high-end lab at the request of the New Jersey police that um, there was no blood in the burlap bag that supposedly um, ha had transported him to the woods, which was found by the side of the road. There was no blood on the two T-shirts the corpse was wearing. Yet under the T-shirts, when they removed them, um, the chest was mostly devoid of internal organs. Wow. Um, in addition to that, the, the lab found near the corpse several items which are listed in my book um, and, I, and the actual lab report is appended to my book um, that belonged to a high-end medical lab, including um, a, a large sheet with a 5 by 2 inch slit in it um, that my daughter, who is my chief researcher, Jamie Benfinuti, found um, mentioned um, a, a similar item in a book um, by Raymond Parker, who was Carell's assistant for at least 10 years, uh, performing these kinds of experiments. And he was trying to educate others in a manual about how to do similar operations. And he, he specifically said, we use, a five, we use a large sheet with a 5 by 2 inch slit in it for where the carotid artery operation uh, is performed uh, in order to keep out contamination. It's just a narrow slit. So you, have, you, you believe that. the evidence shows that baby Charles Lindbergh Jr., died as uh, Charles Lindbergh and Dr. Carell were doing this experimentation on him, and this whole story regarding a kidnapping and everything else was just a ruse to give cover to them accidentally killing the, the Lindbergh baby? Not accidentally. Oh, intentionally. Um, this type of operation, um, the serum was made generally from the, from the subject's blood. So... There was no blood found at the Lindbergh uh, estate uh, in the nursery, in the crib, on the ground outside. There was no blood found anywhere in the, uh, where the corpse had been in the woods and no blood on the clothing that he had worn when he disappeared. So he, obviously the blood was lost someplace else. Yet um, how do you remove organs um, under two T-shirts when they ha when they're still intact and have no blood. Mm. Uh, now, um, so there's that. I did want to mention Dr. Peter Speth. Um, his uh, declaration is attached to my book as well, and he is a, a highly renowned um, pathologist who helped solve the Golden State Killer case. Um, 
he concluded that the assumption when the body was found missing um, half of uh, one arm, another, the other hand, and half of the lower part of his left leg, as well as internal organs, the assumption at the time was that wild animals must have attacked the body while it was in the woods since March 1, undiscovered. Um, his conclusion from the evidence was that it was not wild animals. It was most likely a surgical operation. Now, Dr. Carell was pretty well respected. I, I think he won the Nobel Prize. Why would someone that was so well respected as a surgeon, as a, a scientist, go along with this? Is it just because he felt that the greater good of the innovations that they could make with organ transplantation would be worth a baby's life? Many babies' lives. Um, when he um, uh, got into the the field of surgical research, and and he was not um, he was not a medical doctor since 1906. He never renewed his license, um, but he had a medical diary that uh, was published uh, after his death by his widow, and in that diary he talks about finding the. Um, evidence that he could uncover um, about uh, organs and how they operated, much um, more informative um, when he operated on on living beings than um, autopsy. That is wild. You know, let me end with this. You know, we've heard so many missing child cases over the years, and immediately the first person that people turn to as possible suspects are the parents. I mean, we saw that with John Benet Ramsey in terms of recent high profile cases. Was Charles Lindbergh ever considered by the authorities, either the New Jersey State Authorities or the FBI, as a suspect in the disappearance or murder of his child? The FBI did not have jurisdiction. It was after this case that the Congress adopted the Lindbergh Law. Um, but it, so it was the New Jersey police who refused to consider him uh, a suspect when Scotland Yard suggested that they should, because this was a sickly child who had an oversized head. He was megalocephalic. Uh, there were other issues with him. And Lindbergh was a devoted eugenicist, as was Dr. Carell, one of the most famous in the world. And they um, believed that uh, those uh, people with any infirmities ought not to be able to be to be part of the gene pool. You know, um, so I, I, that was a strong belief that they had uh, throughout that time. But also, I wanted to mention that that there's a book by um, David Friedman called The Immortalists about the experiments, which were very macabre, that were being performed by Carell with Lindbergh's assistance. And in that book, he mentions that they were offered feeble-minded prospects from the head of a New Jersey institution. Wow. Uh, We're going to have to end it there. We're out of time. It's so fascinating. I I can't imagine how long it took you to work on this and assemble all this research. If people are interested in uh, in checking out this book, uh, we've been talking with Lise, L-I-S-E, Perlman. You can just go to uh, Amazon or wherever you buy your books and uh, type in her name and uh, the book comes up. The Lindbergh Kidnapping, Suspect Number 1, The Man Who Got Away. Uh, Judge, thanks so much for the time this morning. Appreciate it very much. You're welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to. Wow. Whew.
I found that pretty convincing. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. We have denunciations coming your way in just a few minutes. We'll take your calls at 800-848-9222. You know, one of the things that I do in our household is I will, uh, you know, I put my son to bed just, you know, every night that I'm home. So I will brush his teeth and then, you know, I'll put his pajamas on if he needs putting pajamas on, you know. You know, I'll see him through his nighttime routine and put him to bed. And I, I enjoy it. It's, uh, we'll say a prayer and, you know, I enjoy those few minutes together and it's uh, really special. But I will help him brush his teeth because he's getting of the age now where he can pretty much do the teeth brushing of himself. So... I let him start with the toothbrush and brush his teeth by himself, and then I'll pitch in to get any other areas that he doesn't hit. Now, Tony, what do you call the substance that you put on your toothbrush before brushing your teeth? But, um, plaque? No, you put plaque on your toothbrush? No, no, wait toothpaste. A toothpaste, right? Okay, so that is what ninety-five percent of the public, and that wasn't meant to be a trick question, there, Tony. I mean, um, you never make it on Ask Frank anything. Forget about it. So that is what ninety-five percent of the public calls that substance. They call it toothpaste. I, however, call it tooth polish. I like kind of the old school, you know, against the grain nature of it. So Carmine calls it tooth polish. Yesterday, I had a thing, and my wife had to brush his teeth, and he's calling this tooth polish like crazy. So I got an earful from her today about how I've brainwashed our son and how he's going to be saying tooth polish for the rest of his life and getting made fun of. I'm proud to have a son that says tooth polish. Keep asking questions. I love my Italian heritage and the food that goes along with it. That's why on Sundays after church, I head over with my father to Italo's Fine Foods on Forest Avenue in Staten Island with our list from mom. They have two locations on Forest Avenue, 1566 and the new one at 725. It's family owned and serving Italian specialties since 2014. They also have a full catering menu, the freshest meats, imported San Martano tomatoes from Italy, and the best mozzarella. Order in store by phone or online. They even deliver. ItaloFineFoods.com, I-T-A-L-O, FineFoods.com. Tell them Vinnie Madugno and WABC sent you. Manja.